Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. The following is a conversation between Frederick Watts, Executive Director of the Police Athletic League of New York, and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving, on AM 970 The Answer, WNYM, in New York City. The Police Athletic League, together with the NYPD and the law enforcement community, supports and inspires New York City youths to realize their full individual potential as productive members of society. Their motto? The best friend a kid can have. And with us tonight is one of those friends. He is Fred Watts, the executive director of the Police Athletic League of New York. Good evening, Fred, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Well, thank you very much for having me. You know, the organization's been around for over 100 years. Tell us how it got started, Fred, and some of the history of the organization. Well, way back in 1914, the police department saw a number of youth in New York City and said, you know, these kids don't have much to do, and, you know, if they aren't doing much, trouble is going to ensue. And so they started to engage the youth in recreational activities. And this actually was the birth of our one of our signature programs, Play Streets. So the police cleared out some empty lots on the Lower East Side and basically invited the kids for a drop-in uh, recreation program. And that was the start back in 1914 for PAL. And if you race up over 100 years, we do play streets today with the NYPD and our staff. So that's how we start, and we're still sort of true to our origin. Your roots, absolutely. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about play streets today, because you don't close streets down quite the same way. It's uh, evolved over those 160 well, over years. Well, over the 100-plus <laughs> years, I think some of the uh, – you know, the, the complexities and the density of the city makes that difficult, although we do close a few mm-hmm. where the community is sufficiently engaged with us and the NYPD to clear out uh, cars and to operate the play street. But for the most part, we're in parks, um, NYCHA facilities, public housing yep. will have uh, parks and, and empty areas. And what we do is we essentially it becomes a drop-in summer camp. It's 100% free. We bring staff, we bring um, equipment, whether it's basketball, hoop, volleyball, uh, board games, Mm -hmm. and we also engage the police. And then together the kids drop in and they can spend a summer day on the the street free of charge. That's that's fantastic. I've known a couple of people who were a part of those play streets way back when. And it really gave them a sense of ownership of the street. I mean, there was a sense that this is mine. And that was really psychologically pretty important. I think it's important for the kids and it's important, I think, for the families because the family can say, you know, I've got a nine-year-old and he's stuck in the apartment. Or we, maybe we don't have quite the funds to send him to a summer camp. Or we're going in this down south in a couple of weeks. But for the next two weeks, it'd be great if he had some. So the the adults in the community sort of also own that play street because it's their play street and a place for their kids to yeah. go. I think when a lot of people think of the Police Athletic League, they think of youth maybe about nine years old and do not think of really, really young youth. But you do have an early childhood education program. What's that like? That's right. We actually have PAL kids, as we you know, typically call our participants. We start at the age of two. And mm. we've very recent, we, we have been running an early childhood program 
often in conjunction with the federal Head Start program and with city programs. Um, recently, we were very proud that we were selected by the federal government to run our, when I say our, they're our funder in partnership with the Head Start program, but we run our own. So PAL is the direct beneficiary of the federal government to run our own Head Start program. We're in seven places in the Bronx. I'm sorry, in Brooklyn and Queens, mm-hmm. uh, mostly underserved communities. We have about 600 kids. And I have to tell you, you know, the, the experience that I've had is you go to visit the, the, um, the program. Let's say it's 100 kids in a, in a center. When you get there, you know, the neighborhoods, you know, can be rough, a little struggling. Yeah. It's, you know, you walk into the center. The kids are, you know, their faces are bright. The place is immaculate. Ah, uh, we have a woman, uh, Dr. Asneth Council, who does a phenomenal job in running these programs. And so we're really very proud of our early child. So those kids go from age two up to kindergarten. And we're also very proud that in the evaluations we've done, 100% of our children have been sort of uh, evaluated as ready for kindergarten. And that, you know, in my day, being ready for kindergarten doesn't, didn't mean that much, quite frankly, everybody. But I'm the father of two kids, and being ready for kindergarten in the current world is, a meaning, is meaningful. And if you're coming from a difficult environment, it's more meaningful. So, oh, no doubt about it. I mean, so we're very proud of that. You can sometimes never catch up if That's you're right. not ready for kindergarten. So you really got to make sure you're at least at the starting line, if not even a little bit beyond it, when kindergarten bell rings. Well, they get a little bit older, and then they go into the junior police program now. Tell us about that. (laughs) Well, we have a full after-school program, all five boroughs, um, where kids come pretty much directly from school to engage in a variety of activities, academic, um, performing arts, sports. But, of course, again, one of the key programs that we do, because part of our mission is to bring the police and community together, is we have this junior police program. And what essentially that is is – tend to try to start them young. So they're more like third, fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And they get little T-shirts. And, but a police officer will come a couple of times a week and talk to them about certain things going on in their community. They'll go on trips, often law enforcement related. They'll go to the precinct. They'll learn about various aspects um, of policing. They'll, you know, do drills. They learn how to march. They And I have to tell you, <laughs> When you see these kids, they have a little culminating program at mm-hmm. the end of the year. And, I mean, often, you know, high-ranking police officers come and they sort of do their thing, if you will. Not only are the junior police very excited for what they've accomplished, but the kids that aren't in the program, sometimes are in the audience, they want to know how they can do it next year. <laughs> oh, you know, so yeah. it has been and, – and, again, it comes to the key that we want to bring the police. The police have a difficult job. The community has – at times can have complaints about the police. Some of them are justified. But if you can bring them together in this, especially at a young age, you can really sort of bring that police and community, make that relationship better. Yeah, it's nice to get them together in a positive environment as That's opposed right. to perhaps on a on the street in something right. which is not quite as, as, uh, as positive. Uh, one of my favorites, and this is, again, for even older kids, is police commissioner for a day. Yes. So we have this pro- – and it's been going on – it goes back many decades. I want to say into as far back as the 40s, mm. um, 1940s. Um, what we do 
And again, the relationship, PAL has a lot of educators and youth development. That's their job. That's what they want to do. The police obviously have a law enforcement job, but it's great when we can work together. So what we do is our education team will create some um, essay questions. And we usually try to pick something that relates to um, either a problem or an issue in their community. It could be cyberbullying. Sure. It could be uh, you know, violence in schools. Opioid crisis was a couple exactly. years ago, if I remember. Yep. That's very good. And we then work with the police for what um, t- to create this essay question. Then we send the essay question out to high schools throughout this city. Mm-hmm. And the kids write an essay. I think it's typically about a thousand words. So that's, you know, three or four type pages. And they're judged by our staff and the police of what, what they um, – yeah, what we think the best essay is, and I've sort of buried the lead here. The question always focuses on what you would do if you were in charge of the police department for a day to correct um, the problem that we've issued. And I must say, you get some tremendous <laughs> answers in those essays. I don't. I mean, we get maybe somewhere between five hundred and a thousand essays. Right. Um, I don't sift through all of those, but they usually show me the finalists. So, uh-huh. And then together with the police department, we pick the winner. But the great part about it is of that of the people, hundreds of kids who enter, probably over 100 participate in some way in this culminating event, mm-hmm. which is held at one police plaza. It's hosted by the police, police commissioner. And the, the, the winners, the top 100, get assigned to – ranking members of the police department, and they spend the day with them. Oh, cool. And the, the police, the one who went, the true winner, the top winner, actually spends the day with the police commissioner. They go out to lunch. and So it's really a wonderful, it's educational, it's community police merging. You know, at the culminating event, the teachers come, the, the, the parents come. So it's really, a, it's really a very warm, exciting time. Have any of those ideas ever been implemented or used by you know, the police department? I have seen a couple that look strangely similar to a couple yeah. of suggestions. Well, you know, they're going to have some insights that Ask. police probably don't have. They're well, that, at that age. and I must say, one of the ones that sticks in my mind now had to do with cyberbullying, which, again, is sort of a difficult thing to ask the police department to. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- they might be involved, but some of this is a more of a um, dealing with children's behaviors, but the insight that the child had, I had a sense of that writer's fears and concerns that I didn't have before I read them. Yeah. And I, so I do think that they, um, and I should also uh, emphasize that, I, I can't remember the year, I should know this, but a p- person entered that contest, I want to say it was in the 1940s who ultimately became the police commissioner, Ben Ward. <laughs> so Benjamin Ward, who was the police commissioner in the oh, 1980s. Yeah, and Ward, yeah. yeah. He entered and won the police commissioner for a day contest. So he had to in. do that lunch a couple times. <laughs> and then as the police That's commissioner. exactly right. He's the only host that was also a guest. <laughs> Talk a little bit about the summertime. You know, you talked about play streets and going to the neighborhood. But do you have any fixed summer camps where we do. kids come? We do. Last summer, I believe we had 19 locations. And um, so our centers are, could could generally be cut, uh, divided into two types. We have seven sort of PAL centers mm-hmm. where everything that goes on there, by and large, is PAL. It's sort of our space. 
but the other more than a, probably about a dozen um, are co-located either in schools or in NYCHA facilities. They have certain names. Um, so when you put those all together, we run summer camps out of all of them, out of the NYCHA facility, out of the schools, and out of our own PAL centers. And they are full programs because they're difficult to staff because they, they start at 8 o'clock, kids get breakfast, they stay all day. I think the checkout is somewhere between 5 and 6. Yeah. So it's a real full day. And, of course, it's the summertime and they're young kids. Most of the kids are from elementary, some middle schools, but mostly elementary mm-hmm. school. So you're talking from 6 to 12. They want to get outside. And, of course, we're inside. So we do have a lot of – we try to incorporate local trips if the center is near a park. You know, we spend some time out there. So it really is a fun experience in the sense that the kids do come inside. They do get some order. But they also get some good old summer fun. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you also try to prevent a little bit of that summer learning loss. We try, and you know, I, you know, um, you know. Even though I'm, <laughs> I consider myself an advanced years. I vividly remember what it was like to be a kid. Most yeah. of us do, and you know, you think that I don't really want to do schoolwork in the summer. So, but what we do try to do is keep them sort of just intellectually engaged. Mm -hmm. We have this great um, culminating event at the end of the summer called Culture Day, where the kids work on, um, throughout the summer, work on, they they pick a, typically it's a region of the world or a country, and there'll be a topic, whether it's music or something about that, food of that company. And then at the end of the year, the kids show their banners and their artifacts. But what that does is, the kids enjoy the activity throughout the, uh, throughout the summer, but then that event, they, they really are engaging their minds. They're writing something. They're working on something. And, and our hope really is that with activities like that, that we can keep the kids engaged so that when they go from fourth grade to fifth grade, mm-hmm. they're not really – they're sort of starting running. Right, um, right. Just keep them in touch. Keep them in touch. <laughs> yeah, keep them yeah. in touch. Let's talk a little bit about the police officers. How are they engaged? How many of them participate? Do they do this on their volunteer time, their own time, or is it on well, even work time, in my or how time, does it go? Yeah, I've been the executive director, I guess, about five and a little over five years, and it's changed a little even when I, from the time I started. It was primarily, they have a unit, a community affairs unit. They have a youth strategies part of the police department, and we engage those officers as sort of part of their job. But most of our activities um, with the police were sort of uh, voluntary or if the cops had a little extra time on their shift, they'd stop by. Mm -hmm. Um, The great advantage of the last several years of crime reduction and the police becoming increasingly community focused is that it's easier to engage more officers. Mm -hmm. There are more touch points with kids. So the so we have, for example, we have organized sports programs called Cops and Kids Sports Programs. And those, you know, require a t- designated people to coach the kids or play with the kids. And those are sort of organized in a certain way. But we can organize them kind of in con- almost as part of their job. So the, it's a, the answer to your question I'm going on here is it's a hybrid of volunteers, but also because of the police's focus on youth and community interaction, 
they are willing to have as part of the police officer's shift at a given time to come to a center or to engage with the kids in a certain way. So it, it gives us more touch points with the police, yeah. which is good. You know, the interesting thing about that, too, is that's really a reflection of the larger society. Because if you look at a lot of corporations where they used to have volunteer programs, now, particularly among millennials and, and Gen Zers, they expect this to be done on company time. Right. So it kind of goes across the board in terms of the way we are engaging people. Yes. No, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. How many uh, children participate on an annual basis in all we your have PAL programs? Typically, in all the programs, it's about – I shouldn't say it's about. Last year, was 20,000. Wow. Mm-hmm. So we have, a good, we have a good little number. And we're, we're in all five boroughs. So yeah. We've got a pretty broad reach. Have you been able to measure, Fred, the impact that this has on the young people and in the community? You know, we have struggled with getting the best numbers because part of it is who um, – well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't give the excuse. Let me tell you what we have been able to do. Mm-hmm. We often survey our participants, them, in some instances, parents and police officers, staff, as to – what we think we got out of the program. And we've gotten some very strong numbers in what children get out of the program. So, for example, we survey children and ask them their attitudes toward police before and after. And the improvement in their attitude is, is like 95 to 100 percent. Wow. We ask the same question of the cops. hundred mm-hmm. <laughs> percent. So it's an interesting um, – so when we survey, we get information like increased self-esteem, uh, increased confidence, speaking skills, all these super important skills for success. The area we've struggled, I think, is the more hard-boiled, because we also would like to see if they would do better in school, yeah. attendance. Mm-hmm. We can get information from self-reported. W- you know, we want to be their mentors and, and their, you know, not guardians, but, you know, sort of people to look up to, and we kind of don't want to push too hard on what, you know, getting grades, and sometimes um, parents are a little reluctant for that. So we enter that a little more gently so we don't have quite the hard data that we um, see. One really spectacular um, piece of data that we have, or two I'll point out, one is we have a juvenile justice program Mm -hmm. where the kids, um, it's been expanded to really involve all kids with really at risk. Maybe they might be in foster care or homeless, but the program started its core was children who had been what we call court-involved. They had been arrested for some event, often not super serious, but something that needed to be checked. And those kids are in family court. They're put on probation. And um, uh, as a condition of their probation, they have to participate with the program. And I think in 2019, 96% of the kids that went successfully completed probation, which was – yeah. was significantly more than kids who didn't. So that's a hard statistic. That's, and, and roughly half of those kids ultimately um, participated in other PAL activities. Mm-hmm. So that was good. The second thing is we have a college access program, which we're trying to grow. We have about 100 kids in it now, but we're trying to really grow it. And those are high school juniors and seniors that come with an aspiration to go to college. In 2019, 100% of those kids enrolled in college. And we don't cherry pick these kids. Mm-hmm. If you want to come, you can come, but you then have to participate, you know, vigorously. We take them on college trips. We have speakers. We get them tutors, and so that's been really successful. 
and we just hope that we can do a lot more. Well, of that. Get some more money and grow it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've talked about the cops. We've talked about the kids. What about volunteers? Do you use volunteers in any capacity? And if so, what duties, duties do they take on? We do use volunteers. The, I guess the volunteers, I would put them in two categories. One are sort of corporations will look for opportunities, as you sort of alluded to earlier, for their staffs, their, their employees to participate in mm-hmm. some community. And so those staff are tailor-made for – or those volunteers, I'm sorry, are tailor-made for – larger events, often in the summer. So we have a carnival at Staten Island. It's 500 kids, and you got a man, you know, 30 booths and mm-hmm. face painting. and So the volunteers basically help us run a lot of, a lot of our larger events um, during, often in the summer, but throughout the year. Um, they also help us. We do a big holiday party, uh, 500 kids, um, and we, in that holiday party, the setup for the holiday party and the putting together of the hundred bikes, bicycles that are given away. There's a lot of hard work there where our volunteers work on that. So they tend to do the big events. We do have the second part is sort of the community person who just want, my mother used to do this. Mm. She, you know, just wanted to come to read Your to dad a local. Was a police my too, father right? was a police yeah. officer. Mother was a teacher. So yeah. it's probably not too surprising yeah, that I, yeah, that yeah, I am where I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we we try to engage either retirees, local community people who just want to interact with children. Mm-hmm. We have rigorous um, screenings for those yeah. folks, but. Um, that's how we do it. How is the organization funded? Does the city of New York provide any of it? And what's your private fundraising like? We do. Um, we have a significant government funds, federal government for the Head Start. City funds help us with a lot of after-school programs. Yep. Um, but we do uh, – we spend a lot of time doing private fundraising. Um, we've – I think we've been pretty successful, but our desires are greater than our funds, so – we keep at it, hoping to grow that, those private funds. Yeah, I'm sure that's almost your number one job going <laughs> yeah, out there, so we spend on lot, doors and asking for money. We spend a lot of time Well, doing let's that. close with a, a couple things along those lines. You have a few events coming up in the next couple months, and one is the Legal Profession Luncheon, which is going to be held at the Behar Hotel on April 22nd. And at that, the Robert Morgenthau Award is given. Tell us the relationship that Pal has had with him. Well, Mr. Morgenthau, who passed away in... July mm-hmm. of, of 2019 at the age of 99. He right. was just shy of his 100th birthday. He had been the president or chairman of the Police Athletic League since 1963. Mm-hmm. So we're talking breaking all records. And he was devoted. He was a very well-respected lawyer and oh, public absolutely. servant. Yeah. Um, but he gave his heart and soul to the PAL. And, and in fact, our vice chairman, uh, said that he was the heart and soul of PS. So he had this really deep relationship um, as a leader, as a fundraiser, but but really it's – I don't want to overstate. It was almost spiritual just because he cared so much and it it trickled down to the board and it certainly trickled down to all of us. Now, it happens that I started my legal career working for Mr. Morgan. Mm. And, you know, when you're a young uh, – uh, employee, I worked for the Manhattan DA's office. You don't have much interaction with him, but over time, because I worked there a long time, I got to know him. So he was really a tremendous. He's a tremendous sort of standard bearer in the legal community and in the 
not-for-profit sort of youth development community. So this award that was developed uh, in honor of him is is a special award, and, and in fact, we do. It's it focuses this dinner. I'm sorry, luncheon focuses on the legal community. Yeah, but and I, you know, obviously I go to it each year, and you can tell we honor some very spectacular lawyers, mm-hmm. but they're proud to get that Robert M. Morgenthau Award. So it's it's nice that even in you know after his passing, he's still contributing to PAL by stimulating this. Um, uh, keeping this uh, luncheon going, and 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 you know we've got partners from big law firms that yeah. want to be a part of it, and I, a lot of it has to do with him. Yeah, it's a nice legacy. Big shoes to fill, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. And is. finally, the second one, and I just got an email on this the other day, is the PAL 5K is coming back on May 17th. Where is that going to be? Yes, we're going to be in Prospect Park. Cool. We made a, we made a little change. We used to for the first four years we did it in Riverside Park. Um, we do it with other nonprofits. But that was always in November. And it seemed like each November, it was a little colder than the, colder than the November before. The one in Prospect Park is in May. Yeah. So we decided that we would skip last November and try a warmer climb. Um, but it's really a lot of fun because what it does is it allows the staff's passion mm-hmm. uh, for the kids, to for them to fundraise among their friends. It allows people like me to ask people for money and our friends. But it also gets us... Uh, last year, we um, we were particularly proud. We had a handful of teenagers, and they participated. And, you know, when I email my friends and ask them to donate, sponsor me for my uh, 5K, eh, some do, some don't. But if you ask them to sponsor a teen, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll do it. Show a picture of the teen. Oh, I'll give it to there you. There you go. So it's, it's, it's helpful. And, and it's also great to have the, the, the youth, um, you know, participating not only in their activity – but actually helping the larger organization. So. Sounds fantastic. Well, Fred Watts, the executive director of the Police Athletic League of New York, I want to thank you so much for being here this evening. Tell us about your website and how people can help and maybe even sign up for this race if they should be so inspired <laughs> yes. to do so. Well, you can learn basically everything you need to know if you go to um, palnyc.org. Um, Google that. You'll go right to the website, and there's all sorts of information about what we do, how you can support us, and our events, which would include the 5K. So thanks, Fred. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'll be back with more of The Business of Giving right after this. The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at BizOfGive on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Business of Giving.